0: Hi, I'm Jeremy Leslie and this is the MagCulture Culture Podcast. Welcome to episode 38. I'm here at the MagCulture Culture Shop with uh, Operations Manager Danielle Mustard. Hiya. Hello. How are you doing?
1: Very good. Still still recovering from a very busy week but good.
0: You're talking about MagCulture Culture Live last week, right?
1: I absolutely am. Yes.
0: And this episode, we'll be hearing from two of the international guests that spoke at my Culture Live London last week: Deborah Bishop, design director of the New York Times Kids broadsheet, and Maya Mumney, editor in chief of Al Hayat and Journal Safar. Uh, but first, a few magazines. Now we've been looking at a few, Danielle.
1: Um, we have indeed.
0: You've got one there in front of you.
1: I do. I've got the uh, the brand new issue of uh, It's Freezing in La.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so this is issue number ten, um, which arrived just before the weekend we it's been a little while since we had one of their standard issues because they had the the special issue um which i can't remember when it came in it was a a few months ago now so this is the first time we've had uh one of the one of the series for a little while a proper one yeah exactly and it's uh it's very gorgeous gorgeous cover um it's themed plants so it's very there's like kind of moss and and lichen or lichen i'm not sure how to pronounce that word actually lichen but it's it's yeah it's very gorgeous and there's there's Tons of different things in there, yeah. I think it's also Martha's last issue as editor as well. It is. Um, it yeah. is. Handing over to Jackson and Nina. It'll be interesting to see where where they take it as well moving forward.
0: But it's, it's been a, a a constant seller for for us. It's an important mm. magazine. It's one of one of the ones, and especially I mean, dealing with climate change, really important subject. Um, have you had a chance to dig deep? I mean, the plants and climate change. There seems to be plenty of crossover there to to look at. um.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a few different things in here. Um, uh, This actually relates to a couple of the other magazines that we have in front of us, but um, there's a story on um, the fashion industry, like reminding them about their responsibility to nature. Um, There's a really interesting piece on um, black histories um, behind plant plant names as well. Um, And then another one which just has a very great title, which is Do Androids Dream of Electric Weeds? Um, which is quite nice and leads very nicely onto the latest issue of The New Yorker.
0: Yes. Now, uh, you could argue The New Yorker doesn't need any promotional help from us. Yes, probably not. It it, it, it sails on. But this current issue, it's the uh, November the 20th issue, that's when we're recording um, this conversation, um, is the AI issue. Mm -hmm. And uh, when they do these special issues... I don't know. They can be a bit hit and miss sometimes, I feel, but this this is an absolute bullseye of an initi- issue. First of all, the cover designed by um,
1: By Christoph Nieman.
0: Mm-hmm. He has, he does, he designs a lot of covers for them, but this, it's a beautiful reflection on, on AI and it, even if the issue's not available by the time you listen to this, Google it, um, the AI issue, November 20th, 2023. So that's clever. But there's also, there's there's a oh, inevitably perhaps there's a QR code link to a mm-hmm. little kind of pretend, I think it's a pretend, a fake AI app. But the idea is you kind of, you go into it and you can sort of start to create your own version of the front cover.
1: Yeah, it's it's very fun. But actually. It's certainly fun. Yes, it's good. Yeah, and there's there's plenty in there as well. There's a lot of um, a lot of I'll definitely be taking an issue home with me because there's a lot to read in there.
0: Well, speaking of someone that has read it. You read I, it in full. Yeah, I read it the weekend. I just oh, ran wow. a, well, I was recovering. I was in recovery mode. I was, I, I was the on the sofa position. reading <laughs> post event. Yes. <laughs> and this is what I uh, happened to turn up as, as my subscri- subscriber issue, and I read it back to fr- back to front. <laughs> but, <laughs> just to make yeah, things more difficult. Just to be difficult. Um, back to cover. Back to cover. Cover, to back, cover front front to, back. to back, front to back, front to back, that's the phrase. There's a phrase in there somewhere. And and some of these subjects I've, I've, I have read about before, but there's a brilliant piece about facial recognition software and mm. where it goes wrong, and it, it is the race bias of, of, of the data that goes into it. But some really, you know, again, you sort of heard bits and pieces about that, but there's sort of a typically New Yorker's definitive piece. There's a brilliant um, profile, uh, profile interview with... Um, the recently resigned Google AI lead, Jeffrey Hinton.
1: Yes, yeah, I started reading that one um, and immediately got sucked in.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's quite a character, clearly, anyway, but he's got a lot to say on the subject, of course. And I think probably in a slightly more positive manner, there was was an interview with the pioneering musician-artist Holly Herndon Mm -hmm. um, and her personal digital art twin, Holly Plus, and how she and her partner are busy developing art using AI and really yeah. enjoying it and taking it somewhere and, you know, seeing it as a real positive. Uh, and then at the very back, there's there's, there's always a, a bit of fiction. In this case, Sheila Hetty has created a story through AI prompts.
1: Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, I started yeah. reading it. I didn't realise. Yeah, but yeah. again, it was. I got totally sucked into it. Yeah,
0: no. It's It's, it's so. So. So she was. She was writing this. This um, short story by prompting and then reacting, and then she mm. stripped out all her prompts and left it, for, and sort of tied it up a little bit. Yeah, I, yeah, I believe. Yeah. But it's quite compelling.
1: Yeah, it is. It, it is. is. Yeah. I, I again had a little flick through earlier and got completely sucked into that. But I didn't realise. I didn't realise yeah. that's how it had been created. Um, Even more interesting. Uh,
0: so yeah. So that. You know, uh, it, it, even a big beast like the New Yorker can do something special and, and land it really well. And it's, it's a fantastic issue. Definitely. Um, now, you, you already mentioned uh, a magazine that related to
1: Yes its freezing. Yeah, so we, we've got a fashion mag here as well. But it's a little bit more of a cerebral fashion mag. Um, Yes, this is the new issue of Visco's Journal, issue five, retail, um, which is made to look like a a receipt from a shop, which is quite fun. Um, Every time we get Visco's, it's a a different size, different format, so that's always really exciting to see it when it comes in. Um, Yeah, but this, this one's just arrived, so I've just had a very quick flick through. I don't know if you've had a look as well.
0: I've flicked through quickly enough to know that I want to dig deeper yes it's always as you said I mean so we have so many fashion magazines and of course they're pictorial it's all photography and they can be wonderful they can be less wonderful whatever but it's always pictures and this is a mm-hmm. magazine that is it's writing it's about text mm-hmm. and it, it, so presumably this I mean this one's examining the retail world which of course is central to the yeah. fashion experience
1: yeah so it's literally looking at like physical shops and, and spaces um in relation to fashion but also kind of like urban spatial politics as well um, so it is quite visual um, but there's yeah there's a lot of kind of like weighty writing and it's um yeah it, it's literally just arrived in the shop so it's just one that caught my eye and as ever looks interesting so um yeah further further to be explored
0: while we're talking about fashion we should mention id magazine just because we were expecting mm. the new issue today and yes. i was keen to see it always, always always keen to see it but i was particularly interested because this is the first I'm not sure it's actually maybe not been produced under the under the um, eyes of the new owner,
1: mm-hmm. but
0: the magazine has been sold by Vice, who went bust. Yes. And they've sold it to the model entrepreneur, um, Carly Kloss. Yes, indeed. Which is an intriguing story that we should have to follow up at intriguing some point. Intriguing, indeed. I just want to quick, give a quick mention to Amalgam, which is our current magazine of the month. Mm-hmm. Um, in my review, I just wrote that it's a brilliant example of how design and content can resolve themselves to enhance rather than compete with each other, and that, and that is a really kind of obvious statement in a sense in terms of magazines. But this is a really strong example of exactly that. It's um it's black and white throughout. It has some brilliant typographic layouts, but the the content and the design really do play off each other and balance off each other. Uh, and it's all around the the, the theme of collapse, mm, which seems mm, very, yeah. very timely. Yes. Thing. But there's a lot happening in the shop, Mm -hmm. as ever. As I said in my intro, last week saw uh, Mad Culture Live London take place, and it was at a new venue, the London uh, HQ of furniture maker, Vitsu, a long-time partner.
1: Yes. Um,
0: And it was a lovely place to do it, wasn't it?
1: Gorgeous. Yeah, really lovely space. Um, Big, big glass windows, a little side street in in Marylebone. Um, Yeah, lovely. Great. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: It was our 10th anniversary, and I kind of feel we've been through different venues, and we've tried different things, and... There's no getting away from it. I mean, I, th- I think sometimes with magazines, we talk about the 10th issue of a magazine. The magazine mm. becomes itself.
1: Yes. Perhaps
0: yeah. perhaps I think this year with, with Mag Culture Live, we sort of got to our 10th di- edition. And in that space, it just felt, yes, this is yeah, this exactly. is right. Yeah. It
1: felt right as soon as it kicked off. Even when we walked in in the morning and we were getting the place ready before everyone arrived, it was just like, yes. This is where it's meant
0: to be. So huge thanks to our friends at Vitsu. Yes, for,
1: absolutely.
0: For collaborating with us, the event itself. And it, of course, there were the. You know, it wouldn't be a live event without everything going really smoothly. I think we were talking about how smoothly mm-hmm. it was going, and it, <laughs> and, and it actually did go very smoothly. But uh, from my point of view, as the person that had to stand up at one o'clock and actually start introducing it, the last twenty minutes were a complete mess to do with technology, <laughs> and I was completely kind of or or it uh, anyway but but it all it all passed well it did. um highlights was anything particularly yeah i mean it was
1: it was a great day so yeah we got there early didn't we i mean i must say the the breakfast sandwich at lena stores was a highlight of mine oh, personally it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was a great way to start the day um but yeah no, it was it was it was great we had some new speakers um we had Olin owen from the paper um the big format messy great silly brilliant mag from wales um, and just like the magazine, their their presentation was just mm-hmm. completely different to any, everyone else's. And just yeah, it was a, it was a joy to observe.
0: Yes, yeah. I think we, I think I think we upset them a bit by putting them on straight after Neville Brody. Yes, yeah, they it did have to take a, a moment.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then but then they turned up with their pointers, their telescopic <laughs> they pointers. They did their and actual and pointers. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, no, they did a great job, and it was you know they 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 got some good laughs from the audience, and I think everyone was really surprised and engaged i feel like when maybe when they first started people weren't really quite sure how to to receive it but then they they got into it and it was just brilliant
0: yeah it's always good to have someone there who i mean the, the, the mag. it's a very serious project in lots of ways but they have a great sense of humor and they mm-hmm. they lightened the mood uh, absolutely in the room that,
1: yeah
0: um, yeah i did enjoy Neville Brody starting. Um, a, a opening with it with it with quite a serious um proposition in terms of what he's been doing and his new book etc the one the one disappointment was when he he's known for and started his career with the face magazine and he did show some and i was when i flicked through the slides in advance i was really pleased he was showing them but then when he did show them he just said boring 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 and flicked on and, mm-hmm. and it was just like I, I i wish he'd come to terms with the fact that people are really interested in the face and what yeah, he did there yeah. and, and the influence that it had but um Nonetheless, great talk from him. Um, yeah, some
1: good archive uh, Lots,
0: spreads, yeah. and yeah.
1: yeah, really interesting to see. Yeah,
0: and some good points of view in terms of the graphic design, in the more general sense. Mm-hmm. Anyone else to to st- 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 out?
1: Yeah, I mean um, Maya as well from Alhaya and Journal Safar. Just a, an excellent presentation, wasn't well, yes, it? Very so powerful. Very, very powerful. Um, we'll
0: be hearing from her in a minute, and, and yes, you can indeed, Im- yeah. I think you can imagine. You know, when you hear a talk to mm-hmm. me just one on one, you can hear the focus of what she's about but it, in a in presentation format she had a lot of uh, videos and, and yeah and, and sound movie and
1: music and, and, and you know um featured lots of different languages as well and it was just yeah it was uh, very compelling and mm-hmm. i think i feel like yeah everyone in the audience was just incredibly engaged for the whole time that it was on um it was like you could hear a pin drop because mm-hmm. it was just so um there was just a lot going on a lot to look at and it was um it was great yeah
0: and very timely and pertinent Given Absolutely. the yeah. Situation in Indeed. The, yeah. The area that she's from,
1: and we got a, a sneak preview of the um, the next uh, mm-hmm. cover of General Safari as well, which looks yeah really excellent.
0: More of that in a minute. Yes, is indeed. More of that. Yeah. All the speakers really delivered. One, one, one of the joys of doing Mad Culture Live is, is that you sort of you put together these different kind of speakers with different moods and different magazines and different, and and you're never quite sure how it's all going to hang together, but but everybody contributed their bit
1: yeah really great i mean it was uh it was lovely for example to meet um linda from girls with curls i've been chatting to over email for a little while now so it's always nice to to put a a real face to a name and and meet people in person Um, and of course she popped in on friday as well Mm -hmm. after the event which was which was lovely
0: but that's part part, again part of the thing with mad Live. i think is is people come into town and they want to go around and a lot of people who were there for the event then popped up in the shop Mark Robert Robertmund from the Athenaeum in uh, in Amsterdam, that that wonderful shop, yes. was in town for for, for the live as well, and he popped into the shop, and it just it, it's just it's, it's good to bring people together,
1: yeah, like that, yeah, and um, different magazine yeah. communities from different cities are popping up here in London and mm-hmm. vice versa, um, and always nice to see each other's spaces as well and have a little chat and yeah. see what people think of the shop, and yeah. similarly when if we're travelling over there and things like that, so yeah, great to see him too.
0: Uh, and then we can't we can not not mention Deborah Bishop, who also spoke at our New York event early this year, and she is uh, kind of... She's one of the magazine heroes of New York City, I think, uh, designer, a designer, director who's worked at Rolling Stone and is part of Martha Stewart's team in the heyday of that huge publishing brand. Um... But she delivered another great talk about her work on the on, on, on the New York Times kids section. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, I mean, the New York Times kids is uh, it's just so much fun, and it's always uh, it's great to see all the all the different slides and the the different animations. And I can't imagine how much fun it is to work on that publication. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, let's hear more about it now. We're going um, I mentioned some of the things that Deborah has done in the past. Today she works as part of Gail Bickler's team at the New York Times. I sat down with her a couple of days after Mag Culture Live to talk about her work in print, her role on the Print Is Dead podcast, and also her ancestral link to the Leslie clan. I started by asking her what she made of London.
2: I really have enjoyed it. Every single thing. Um, the hotel the talk um, my trip to Yorkshire um, the train ride uh-huh.
3: um,
2: I went to the National Gallery and um, looked at some Alan Ramsey's who may be one of my ancestors um, it's all been wonderful um, so I love it I feel very comfortable here and I think that's probably because I'm Canadian
0: uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah and so there's still some kind of more of a link with with through Canada than through the U.S. Feeling, mm-hmm.
2: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think so. I think Canadians are sort of in between uh, an American and um, a British
3: mm-hmm.
2: person. I think we're a little more reserved, a little more, um, uh, but we still have you know a lot of influences from the U.S. So, but I, I feel comfortable, and, and it might be because I I grew up with. Um, you know, my my family are all British. Uh-huh. So there, I mean, from,
0: yeah. from a few
2: generations back. But where I grew up was very British. Like
0: we, we we were talking about your family tree, and and you you researched back that there was some Leslie's in your background. Yes. Yeah. So, so we're related. <laughs> we're, <right>? we're
2: related <laughs> on my grandmother's side, um, going back to Scotland many generations, though. Um, there are two branches of Leslies because mm-hmm. first cousins married, so there's quite a large mm-hmm. number of mm-hmm. people who are um, Leslies.
0: So that's and, a good yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah it's concerned, obviously. Absolutely. But um, well, I'm glad you've enjoyed the trip. What? What? Were there any any particular things that you would pull out as a highlight? Things that you've seen or?
2: Um, well, I went to see as we were. T- talking about. I went to see the Phil Baines um, mm-hmm. at the behest of, of um, Neville Brody and a few other people said you, you really mm-hmm. need to go. I think you did too.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, so I went. And, and what uh, did you make of it? And Well, it was just, it was really fun to see the art school.
0: I loved that. So maybe it's just, so, so Phil Baines is, is a, is a professor of graphic design at central St. Martin's right. here in London. Yeah. Right. And he's just retired. So there's an exhibition to sort of see him off. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I really enjoyed it and I was very inspired. And my next issue of the New York times for kids is going to be a type issue. So it was very, um, inspiring. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I really enjoyed it.
0: Uh, I have to admit I haven't got to see it yet, but I'm really looking forward to going to see it because I know he's worked well, and um, I love it. It's very typographically orientated, mm-hmm. pure, mm-hmm. just type, mm-hmm.
2: and it's very eclectic. It's not yeah, that, yeah, you don't yeah. see it's not the same thing over and over mm-hmm. again. They start with his collection because he loved to collect um, road signs and mm-hmm. you know the London Underground signs and yeah. um, signage, um, and that was wonderful.
0: So, do, do you find generally that you can sort of see? Uh, an art or design exhibition like that and it feeds into your design practice
2: Absolutely Uh Even today I went to the National Gallery and um, I was looking at the um, the Tudors exhibition and I really love you know where they put the classic type Mm -hmm. up at the top Mm -hmm. like I find even that incredibly inspiring and classical painting incredibly
0: inspiring so you moved sure. to New York to study,
2: right? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I moved to New York um, in 1984. Um, I actually followed my husband, who was then my boyfriend. His name is Eddie Guy, professionally, but his whole name is Garnet Edmund Guy Henderson. And we came here together, along with some other students that call you know mm-hmm. colleagues, and it. I really felt like that I had found my species when I got here, um, I was obsessed
3: mm-hmm.
2: and I, I was incredibly inspired by my teachers. One of them being Paula Scher, One of them being Karen Goldberg and one of them being another woman named Henrietta Kondak. Another one being, um, uh, Louise Feely. and Louise was all about packaging. Um, Karen and um, Paula Scherer, obviously, all about... They had been at CBS Records for 25 years, and Henrietta as well. Mm-hmm. So they were incredibly influential, and they really, they really taught me... They teach you what is good, and they also teach you the history of graphic design, which I feel like mm-hmm. a lot of you know, education is missing these days, and I think it's really important.
0: And it's interesting to me that, that uh, you've identified three, four women that were teaching you, which um, is not always the case in the graphic design world. it's quite a male orientated right. area uh, and was that important to you it was yeah,
2: it was because they served as great role models mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because because i hadn't wit i hadn't seen that or or felt that you know in art school even it was all about the boys
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know so it it was very influential, not just in. What they could show us, um, and what they taught us, but that that they were they were influencers. You know, before mm-hmm. social media, they were influencers. Um, Karen Goldberg, who recently passed away, did the most amazing book covers. Yeah, that were happening at the time. They were incredibly influential, um, and Paula was doing. Um, when I met her, she was doing just about everything. But of mm-hmm. course, she had the incredible album legacy. And I, and as a young designer, I desperately wanted to do album mm-hmm. covers. I wanted to do cool stuff. Did I didn't, you, you know, I didn't to... want to do kids stuff. I wanted to do, <laughs> do, I wanted to do rock and roll.
0: Did you ever get to do rock and roll? <laughs>
2: yeah, because the what? after Paula, I went to work at Rolling Stone, yeah. and that was as close to, you uh-huh. know, that was it. That was my rock and roll job. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I mentioned in sort of going back through some of the there's other things, but I want to jump right away to, to the current job because you mentioned, you, you know, didn't want to do kids stuff. Yeah. But, I did. And, and yet you're working on this extraordinary project at the moment, which is why we invited you over here uh, to, to speak at Mad Couch Alive to show, uh, to showcase your work for the New York Times kids mm-hmm. broadsheet section. Um, it, it is
2: an extraordinary project.
0: Tell us a bit more about that. People, I mean, there would be people listening who maybe have seen it on Instagram or they won't have had it in their hands. Tell us a bit more about it.
2: Well, cut back to 2016, and I think it was around there. I had lost my job at a magazine called More Magazine, uh, which is a magazine for women over 40, and I had completely overhauled it. But it was, you know, after the sort of crash, when was that, 2007? There
0: was a... Uh, 2007, seven, eight. The, yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: around there. That was kind of a real downturn for commercial, you know, newsstand-type mm-hmm. brands. And so they decided to fold the magazine. And, you know, I, I was hoping that I could sort of jump around and do lots of different magazines, but I had been there for, I think... Gee, I think I'd been there for seven years at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, too long. And, um, and I'd redesigned it twice. Major redesigns, mm-hmm. twice. Um, anyway, that had gone, and, and I was kind of like, sort of, which had never happened to me before, that I was sort of like adrift. Mm-hmm. I didn't have prospects. The magazine business was in dire straits. And um, I got a call from Gail Bickler, and she said, you know, how would you like to come and work on a special issue at the New York Times Magazine? Of course. I was, you know, thrilled. Um, mind you, it was the cancer issue, <laughs> <which was laughs> oh difficult, but you know I dug in and you know I was very pleased with the results of that and and I loved and I loved working there so
0: that was actually on the New York Times magazine magazine yes yes I did when I
2: first when I first started I started working Uh at the magazine with Gail Bickler Mm -hmm. and she hired me and um, I I, maybe it was a year later um, after that that uh, we started working on broadsheets together she hired me Mm Yeah, Jake and she hired me to work on broadsheets It wasn't just the kids' version, though. It was um, broadsheets on all... It was special sections Mm -hmm. in the New York Times, but produced and designed by the magazine department. Um, And I... I, So Kids was one of the... It was a one-off. It was an experiment. And the For some reason, I still don't know why, but the masthead of the New York Times decided that they didn't want to do the special sections anymore, which mm-hmm, mm-hmm. involved things like excerpts, book excerpts, or we did one on genealogy. I designed the sixteen nineteen broadsheet, not not the whole mm-hmm. and um but they just decided that that they didn't want to do that anymore, but they did want to do they did want to expand the kids.
0: And these these special sections were were not magazine size. That they are the full size, full page right, size of right. the daily broadsheet exactly. newspaper. Are which are called, vast. They
2: are broadsheets. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're folded in half, um, and they. And it's newsprint. Right. They 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 were folded in half and would show up in the Sunday section, mm-hmm. not anywhere else. Just in the Sunday section of the New York Times magazine or uh, newspaper. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, and and the majority of them were one-offs, and some of them were, were very very spectacular and part of bigger projects like the sixteen ninety nine
2: exactly yeah, yeah. sixteen nineteen yeah
0: so sorry sixteen That's nineteen okay. yeah. which is part of a much larger campaign the New York Times was doing in the magazine right. online the and, book,
2: but and I you know, was just well, doing well. the broadsheet yeah, yeah, okay, that yeah. that you know Gail really had <laughs> had up the whole mm. the entire thing I was doing. The 1619 section that I worked on was, you know, a... I don't want to say accessory, but it was like a partner yeah. or a, you know, a companion yeah, piece. A, a par- Compa- yeah, it was a yeah. companion piece to the magazine. Mm-hmm. And to and the, the company was making a big initiative mm-hmm. um, about the topic.
0: and the, but, but, I mean, working on that page size, was that... Uh, an interesting jump from doing the smaller sort of magazine-sized pages to to this these vast kind of yeah. huge huge areas of print and color.
2: Absolutely, and it took me a while to. I think the first year of kids in particular took me a while to not make giant mistakes. Mm-hmm. There were giant mistakes in the beginning, and mm-hmm. a lot of it revolved around printing because. I had, you know, never printed, I mean, Rolling Stone was on newsprint, but it was high-quality newsprint, and there were restrictions that, you know, color is the biggest problem, right? But with the the broadsheets, because we were working at the magazine, we didn't really have the resources in place to help us with, none of us Mm -hmm. had done anything so we're kind of left to our own devices in terms of like like what needed to be done and and one thing is that that every piece of art that you do has to be toned Mm -hmm. meaning it has to be lightened way back like our toned art cannot be given to anyone for instance to 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 print on like beautiful paper because it's just too light you basically destroy the art uh-huh. in order to yeah.
0: so you, print it. because the ink just of, set, yeah yeah the, the ink sucks in, but also it's slightly off white anyway.
2: Well, it's funny the 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 actual the you know the paper that we use the newsprint it 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 does things that you might not imagine. You'd mm-hmm. think oh it's blue. Um, it's not really blue. Like sometimes it it ages things, makes things more yellow. But for the most part, I, I've learned over the years. It's been six years now that the reds will come up. Mm-hmm. And now we have a liaison to College Point, which is the press yeah. that we use. Uh, the magazine gets printed by an independent printer. But we, of course, even though we work right. at the magazine, are printed by College Point.
0: Which is the New York Times printer. The,
3: exactly. So, so, and so, so
0: and the, the vast majority of the pages in the New York Times are black and white with some color photography.
3: That's right. But
0: your stuff is much that's more right. likely to be, not just necessarily color, but large areas of oh, flat color. Lot, flat black lo-
2: or, yeah like we were told here's one of the restrictions you can't use that much black you're going to break the press uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, we have a lot of we saturate the paper which makes it like could make it too gooey mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we, we put a lot of color they love to work on it though they really mm-hmm, do mm-hmm. and but we <laughs> we definitely take them to task like uh-huh. we definitely make them jump through hoops that i'm sure that and i don't even know but i'm sure that yeah. the magazine special section designers don't make them go through Did, this I,
0: i'm just talking about this i'm remembering there was a sp- there was a special issue which was um, about the printing presses about about where it was made do you remember that Maybe you weren't involved in that. There was a special broadcast. No, I did that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was called Daily Miracle. Yeah, the Daily Miracle. And
2: um, that one was one where um, I was collaborating with um, Kathy Ryan, Uh who's the the great... Photo editor, if you want to call her that. Photo director of the New York Times Magazine. And she and Chris Payne had... uh, Chris Payne had been developing these pictures about uh, College Point over many years. I'm not quite sure. Maybe two, maybe Mm -hmm. longer. And she brought... You know, ideas can come from anywhere, the New York Times, really, but Kathy brought that story Mm -hmm. with Chris to the table. And we created the broadsheet for that. And mm-hmm. it definitely was one of the best ones that we did in, uh, at mm-hmm. the New York Times Magazine Labs, which was, was the, sort of the group, yeah, uh, we, yeah. we would sort of uh, the, the title that we call, called ourselves. It was like, mm-hmm. um, a group within the magazine.
0: And, and going back to the, the, that scale thing, um, this, the, the, just the, the actual size and format, um, do you have special printers that you proof it on? I mean, or, or at least you can print out in the office because it, it, it's bigger than the screen. It's bigger than yeah. A3 oh, sheets. Yeah. It's, it's one
2: of, one of the, the, the best perk that I mm-hmm. have is that we have these beautiful plotters. We call them the plotters, mm-hmm. but it's, um, you know, jumbo-sized printers. And they they have newsprint on them, but, that, but honestly, what how... You know, a beautiful print from one of those is is quite... I've kept most of them because Uh they're beautiful. Um, And we have to have those because otherwise we can't really tell how the art is going to print. And it was a a learning curve in the beginning to to understand, you know, there were so many mistakes, (laughs) (laughs) you know. In the beginning that, you know, I wasn't toning enough, um, you have to be careful. We, at, at one point, we thought we would work with the fold, like mm-hmm. design with the fold. We're always, you know, one of the things that we're trying to do is really work with the format, design with the format. One of one idea is to work with the fold. Sometimes we, you know, use flat um, pages. I was saying not chronological, just mm-hmm. so that you can pull them out and yeah, play yeah. them. Um, because obviously they're
0: not bound. They're an easy right, it's not yet, bound, yet. So, it so you apart. can
2: pull pull it apart, and it can be a very sort of eclectic issue. It's not about mm-hmm. your typical, you know, you know, page, but you know, page numbered kind of issue, chronological issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we ran into all sorts of problems experimenting, innovating, mm-hmm. um, and it, it mainly had to do with the printing.
0: But still, for you having come come from the more, I mean, I mean, it was clearly working at magazines like Rolling Stone. You also Martha Stewart uh, with a number of her projects. But so you've you've been able to play with typography and been allowed to do a lot of very creative work on relatively small pages, and then bursting in onto onto these vast pages. And, and again, I should just explain to if, if people haven't seen this, it's. It's, we're not talking about pages from the New York Times with a bit of colour on them. We're talking about complete redesign. I mean, some of the fonts and some of the... there, there is there is a family re, um, resemblance, but it's very different. He talks through. I mean, it's very illustrated. There's lots of colour on the page and there's a lot of typography and sections. I think I think there's um, there's an American to my ear an American publishing phrase package. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, and and,
2: and we use that term quite a bit, Mm -hmm. actually, at the New York Times magazine. Packaging is very important to us. Um, The magazine does these brilliant special issues, obviously headed out by Gail um, Bickler. Uh, And for those special issues, and it's the same with kids, we only do four special issues out of 12 Mm -hmm. a year. Mm -hmm. We have a very sort of strict format that we use for the other, um, you know, how many, eight issues. So
0: they're they're more regimented?
2: They are, more like a, that they would, you would consider more like a newspaper. Mm -hmm. The special issues are sort of pushed more into a packaged magazine special Mm -hmm. section, Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. special issue. Um, And that's because we shift up the grid, Um, we create a whole new design. For each one? For each Mm -hmm. of the special issues. Um, we don't shift up the fonts that much. Um, sometimes we will redesign them add a big drop shadow, or we'll force justify or do something that makes it special.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, we do a lot of uh, what I call compartmentalizing, which is um, kind of like a comic strip. I, it's inspired by comic strips where you know, each article gets a different box. Mm. That style of grid. Um, the regular ma- um, newspaper grid is not like that. Um, we work with, I think, a twelve-column grid, um, somewhat flexible. Mm-hmm. Like we don't, uh, we don't use the same column widths on every article. We switch up from three to four to one, um, but there is a fairly standard sort of narrow column mixed with. Mm-hmm you know, a wider column, wider story size.
0: To turn back to the idea of special issues, um, give us an example of some of the sort of subject matters.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, I, I love a theme. I, I really, you know what, I've, I've learned... I mean, I've always... Rolling Stone was the beginning of that because mm. one of the things, you know, I think Fred started was doing the same thing, where we would repackage. And, you know, as a young designer, it was really thrilling to get to package a special issue like the new music issue mm-hmm. or the, you know... I I did several of them, but we each... We all, you know, got to do our special sections. And, and truthfully, the New York Times magazine does the same thing. And it's scary, and there's a lot of pressure, um, but it's really... Uh, you learn a lot.
0: It's so it's, really kind, it's kind of like you handed the keys to the car and said, go, yeah, go yeah. drive. But,
2: it, but, but what it does is it, it enables you to learn how to really design systems,
3: mm-hmm.
2: right? Because most magazine designers don't because there's already a format, a col- the column widths, the typefaces, everything sheets. in place, and they really are just um they might shift up the grids a little bit they might you know fill the, right. the spaces but you know this is much more than that and 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 i've always done that and so for me it's just really boring issue after issue after issue just to follow the same format and just fill the boxes
0: so 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 so, so. so, so when you when you so you're responding to the special themes visually so um I'm trying to think of some of the themes that the you Well, adult. for instance,
2: for, uh, for the, the kids we have, we have developed over six years, you know, different sort of annual. The, the first one that really sort of, I think, hit home was the Halloween issue. Mm-hmm. And that one was a special issue, of course, all around Halloween. And I, I had had all of this experience with Halloween working at Martha Stewart because it's everybody's favorite issue. And um, it's really fun um, costume-wise. We hired Travis Louie, who was the perfect person to do this. It was a little bit scandalous because when you put up a monster like that, I mean, it was kind of funny, you know. I was a little worried, mm-hmm. actually, for the New York Times because but, it felt a little irreverent uh-huh. to put that kind of illustration a monster a one-eyed cyclops monster underneath that very hallowed 166 year old maybe older now um logo Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right i I don't think anything like that had ever been done before they don't do funnies or comics or do you know
0: what i mean so how what was the internal response then? Did,
2: oh, it was great. Yeah, they yeah. they instead of they they really they even wrote an article about it. On uh-huh, YouTube. Uh-huh. But that was later on when we did another issue, special issue, which, which was the funny. I think we called it the funny issue, mm-hmm. and uh, we we pretty. I can remember being just so excited about it. Just had just like a, you know. Like a little kid mm-hmm. jumping up and down. Oh my goodness! We're gonna we're gonna turn a page upside down. We're gonna have gag jokes in here. We're gonna um, uh-huh. <laughs> we had fake poop. <laughs> we had, you know, I mean, it, just I mean, imagine the you know what's the most prestigious London newspaper? Imagine you're having you're teaching people how to make fake like poop as mm-hmm. a cookie that's mm-hmm. edible. Um, you're, you're mm-hmm. ma- showing people how to make vomit. You're, and yes, it's for kids, but you know, we worried about it a little bit in the beginning, but, um, they seem to, but it was funny.
0: They took it on the right way. They
2: did. Yeah, yeah. They were good sports.
0: And it seems to go from strength to strength. It's one, I mean, it's, that, it, Halloween it is a fabulous is, thing, yeah. uh, but then it, it, it's winning awards. I mean, I mean, generally not yes. I mean, Halloween. And well,
2: Halloween in particular is the, the sort of most anticipated, mm-hmm. I think. And I, I think that has to do with a little bit of the, the Martha Stewart sort of um, influence in that, you know, we'll design costumes. Mm-hmm. You know, for the first one, we uh, Travis Louie did the illustration, but he influenced even the center spread, which we took his characters and created costumes around his characters, which that, are, are bizarre minute. and... Yes, that uh-huh. people could actually make. Well, they were more inspiration than how to, but
0: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it was a starting point. Yeah, yeah exactly.
2: Yeah. And um, but but what was really great is that the the editors really got into it and started responding, so that the next issue they they came up with a, a theme for it because they were really into it after that first one that was all about fear, which my my concern about uh, themes is. Um, you actually can't make them too broad um, mm-hmm. because there's nothing to, you know, grab a hold of. But they came up with fear, and then they then they came up with a middle spread that was all about phobias. And that was just a wonderful sort of parameter to, to create art mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. and design. And so we had a lot of fun with that.
0: So I'm getting a sense that, you know, you're you're part of a team where there's really strong editorial ideas, and you you've got lots to offer on the visuals, and it works really well. And the end result, I mean, when you look at it, I mean, it's it's um, impeccable. I mean, it's beautiful typography, fantastic illustration, um, and it's aimed at kids. Uh, and we had a brief. I mean, after the talks on Thursday at the MagCulture Live, we we went for dinner, and I think I think it was then we were having a chat about with a few of the other speakers and stuff about about who actually, who, who reads it and who benefits from, from all, all that work. And obviously the, the newspaper arrives as a package with the parents, but then the idea is that the children are, have their own section and mum or dad pulls out and hands it over. Do you have a sense that that happens? I,
2: I think, this is my own personal opinion, but I really feel that, and, and I think that my colleagues, my editors, like the great Caitlin Roper, who helped me create this from the beginning, mm-hmm. um, and Amber Williams, who is also my editor, I think that we all have a similar idea. I mean, we, we have to gear it to kids, but c- the kids' area of product or, you know, it's tough because... Parents buy it if they're going to subscribe to something. If they're going to, Mm -hmm. they buy things like magazines, um, newsletter, but you know whatever it is, toys. Mm -hmm. You have to get the you know. I mean, yes, kids have to get involved in it, but but you're you're. It's great if it. And I hate to say the word family because it sounds so goofy, but you know, I think that what we do needs to be like a great Disney movie. And you need, it needs to be enjoyable for everybody,
3: mm-hmm. not mm-hmm.
2: just kids. And I think there are definitely parts, you know, we definitely want to gain a younger audience and show them about the world. But at the same time, we we're entertaining.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and I think if, if, if parents or adults are entertained, then they'll share it. And, and, and we get more, more consumers, more mm-hmm. readers, mm-hmm. and that's important. Um ultimately what we're really all about, I mean if you, you what what and we always have been, is we are uh meant as a gift to subscribers. So, you know, subscribers are our parents, they're adults, mm-hmm. they're grandparents, they're you know. So
0: And to take you back to the point you made much earlier in this conversation, um Do you you feel now that doing stuff for kids is cool?
2: I love doing this. There's no doubt. Um, Would I like to do a more adult um, typographic Mm -hmm. uh, solution sometime? Yeah. (laughs) Uh I get, you know. um, But, you know, it's kind of funny because I've learned over the years that uh, the kids area has this incredible... Uh, range like that that you can respond to mm-hmm. um it has more possibilities than you actually ever see on most kids products or kids books or um and kids are smart they're really smart and um, and they're cool and they like cool stuff so that really helps somebody a designer who who likes rock and roll (laughs) you know um adult you know but but sometimes I I sort of yeah feel like I'm trapped in Mm -hmm. in kids but not very often but once in a
0: while I feel like well for it's worth I mean from my point of view I think I think it's one of the coolest kids things out there I think it's brilliant um but then you're involved in in other projects as well I mean you're still doing some teaching at the School of Visual Arts yeah um, uh,
2: yeah, I, I Steve Heller. I, I, work with Steve Heller at the school of Visual, the master's program at the mm-hmm, School mm-hmm. of Visual Arts.
0: Which is where you studied, not the, necessarily on that not, course, not but the of that master's school. program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But
2: yeah, that that's mm-hmm. my. I'm alumni, and um, I, you know, Steve basically hired me to teach a special class because he really loves these broadsheets mm-hmm. that we were doing, and. The class is called Designing Large, and um, I, you know it's it's very difficult. I'm I'm not gonna lie for me because he you know the great thing is that he said okay, it's only gonna be seven classes because I really don't think that I could do the kids broadsheet and teach full time. It's just mm-hmm. it's too much. Yeah. I mean the kids broadsheet is all consuming. It is really hard for me to fit it in, but it's only seven weeks. The kids what what they need to do is um, create a broadsheet over the you know few last few years that I've been doing it. Um, I've developed a project that is really only typography, which is difficult um, but it it works better than. Asking them when when you get into asking them to commission illustration, they end up having to do it themselves. It's 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 two times. The hardest thing teaching editorial design is is the content. Exactly. So they do have to come up with the content. They have to come up with um, a a, something that they're passionate about, and then um, and then design a Mm broadsheet over eight pages that needs to be cohesive. Um, needs to be packaged just like we package the magazine uh, special sections or the kids mm-hmm. special section. Um, but it's all typography based, which I love, which is great for me because um, even though kids is, is uh, kids is more image driven than it is typography driven um, in my view, you know. Uh, so um, I enjoy that outlet. Um, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not doing it, but I'm, you know, guiding them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And then you're also, you're, um, you also, you have a role with the Print Is Dead podcast.
2: Right. Well, Print Is Dead, um, I, I've worked on this from the beginning with um, Patrick Mitchell, um, who has his own design studio in Boston, or around Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really his, his baby. Um, and... Uh, but I have interviewed a few people. It's, it's a new thing for me, so I'm, I feel like I'm still a novice at it. But the, the latest one is Gail Anderson, who is a friend of mine from our Rolling Stone days. And that was really fun mm-hmm. to catch up. Um, I used to work with Robert Priest. I did one with him. Um, I did one with Janet Froelich, who I have not, never worked with, but um, I have always admired her work. And um, I did one of the first ones with um, Roger Black, uh, which was really fun, mm-hmm. terrifying but fun. The first one was really terrifying because when you first start doing a podcast, you have to listen to your voice. <laughs> <It's>
0: <laughs> tell just, me about it's it. Just like, tell ah! me about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but do you, you enjoy doing those? Oh, apart from apart from listening back. But the, but the
2: I enjoy. At this stage in my career, I love to hear about people's stories.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I want to do it because I feel like this is really important work. And I feel like, Jeremy, the work that you're doing is very important too. Mag culture. And But I, I just still have a hard time listening to myself. I honestly, my husband and I, what we love to do is on a Friday night when there's a new one, We'll sit down with a drink at cocktail hour and sit and listen. Mm-hmm. And we really enjoy it. Really enjoy it. I enjoy it less when I'm the one sure, sure. <laughs> interviewing.
0: I think we're on common ground there. But, <laughs> yes. But um, the Pr- Print is Dead in particular, it has a very special role in that because there is uh, some of these people are, to be absolutely frank, are getting on a bit. And they're yes, not going to, yes. you
2: know. Well, it's kind of like you, we're doing the opposite things. You're really embracing, like, um, indie and mm-hmm. new talent, and we're um, we're doing a lot with, you know, trying to sort of, you know, show people what it was like, um, mm-hmm. but also sort of get at questions like, where do we go from here? where, you know, Mm -hmm. these are incredibly talented people, not to lose the history.
0: Yes, absolutely. But but that's what always strikes me about it. It it is about capturing that history before it evaporates. Yeah,
2: and I also think it's... I always think of it, you know, Patrick may not agree, but I always think of it a little bit like Inside the Actor's Studio. Do you know that show? I don't. Oh, okay. Well, where you really get to talk about how you work... Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're, I consider um, creative directors, design directors, art directors of magazines artists, and they get a chance to like talk about
3: mm-hmm.
2: their um, experience in magazines. But it's also an art experience. It's also about um, about them.
0: And, and a lot of it is looking back at those. And and you talk about sort of you like talking to people's stories. And you're talking to people who have got long history stories with uh, who've worked through the heyday of of magazine publishing especially in in New York City which was was the place
2: it was hard I mean it you know working for a magazine Mm -hmm. and having a team is is difficult
0: um but but look looking at at the city and its publishing industry now it feels very very different you know there's a, a lot of in a, in a sense, I mean, a, a, a lot of what... It, I think I think we first met at one of the SPD award-judging or something mm-hmm. like that, and 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 you looked around, there was a lot of, like, there were art directors and creative directors representing all the big brands. Yes. And the room was full of people who, yeah. you might not know their name, but you knew their work. Yeah. On On the airport out of JFK, you know, on the flight out of JFK, you go into... Uh, the 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 newsstand at the airport, and there would all their work was on show. Great It was a, yeah, big file, it was a little bit like being at
2: the Academy Awards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it had that most prestige
0: mm-hmm. too. And and, and, yeah. and so many of those people either went off to work for Apple or on somewhere on the West Coast yeah. or or retired or or whatever. Yeah. And you know, you, you look around and there's 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 still some great work happening, but there is less of the great people doing it. Do you worry about the future in that sense? Not 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 simply in the fact that oh, will there be magazines in ten years' time, but where will the people be who are creating that work?
2: Well, I do. Obviously, um, I think things are evolving. Um, I I I think that there will still be print, but maybe less of it. More like what you showcase in mm-hmm. your store. People you know creating their own um print products um i think that that what we've lost is that sort of you know team that sort of that system of having a creative director with a team and and um creating this monthly weekly bi-weekly um project that you know digital is just so different Mm -hmm. um I mean it goes on and on but I'm just kind of hoping that technology catches up and there'll be something similar to magazines mm-hmm. because right now I don't I don't think it is. It's it it is more about systems. Yeah. And I understand systems, you know. I can do that. Uh but I just hope it gets easier to create, you know, bespoke designs.
0: Um, it, it has to. It has to sort of. To me, to me, in my mind, it has to jump beyond just being function and efficiency. It has to become. Yeah, it has to, the possibility of a more bespoke, more specialised, and and so. You know, I, I I read a lot on my phone, and I, I I just I would love to feel when I'm looking at this website or editorial product or in an online environment that, that I feel that that oh, I recognise that because it feels familiar it is brand x and then it goes somewhere else yeah. this is brand y yeah. but at the moment it's just all a mash yeah.
2: well honestly it's the packaging and the the sort of the real graphic design that's that's not a not afraid mm-hmm. you know what i mean that's not so systemized um that i feel like we're missing you know and, you know, ultimately what I love to do is, again, we come back to packaging. I mean, that's, I've realized that that's what I really, really love to do. I love to take a theme. I love to wrap something up, package it. I like to create, you know, a complete thought with my with my graphic design. I like to communicate as well. Um, but it's very hard to do that when you are, Stuck with a system mm-hmm. you end up it it becomes very you know uh marginalized you've got somebody filling a box and then the type never changes and that's it you know it can be beautiful, but it's not the same thing mm-hmm. as as what i'm doing i'm i i from ro- my rolling stone days' kind i'm kind of addicted to that that packaging aspect of it like okay we're gonna do uh the new music, and I'm going to hire... I'm going to create beautiful, very poetic-like type, and I'm going to hire this illustrator to overlay the type, and I'm going to create... The whole section will look like that. You know, I'm going to shift up the, you know, the the grid, and I'm going to add in beautiful little details and different slugs, and, you know, that to me is... I love that. I love that. I got I got kind of addicted to... Truthfully, I've been redesigning and starting new magazines since my Rolling Stone days, which was um, late, early 90s, I guess. Early 90s, yeah.
0: Deborah, it's been great having you in, and it's been a pleasure having you in London. Thanks for, you did a great talk at the event last week. Um, Lovely chatting today. You're going to be getting back on your plane, flying back to to, um, Jersey and um what 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 are you going to be what are you looking forward to when you get back what are you going to be doing what, what's well, the next issue
2: you know honestly jeremy thank you so much for asking me here you gave me a great opportunity to not only sort of like you know sort of wander off and and find my some of my roots my ancestors mm-hmm. but also i i love it here i saw it in a fantastic show that is very inspiring and when i get back I'm going to, I'm moving right into, and I, I've been sort of mentally preparing myself that I'm about to start um, an issue, which was partly my idea. It's an opinion issue for kids. And, you know, part of the thing that we love to do for kids, and I think it's really a wonderful thing, is to let their voices come forward. And so it's going to be an opinion issue for kids, and we're going to have that. that. That is true new york times is true new york times for kids and i'm really excited about doing a type only issue it'll it'll definitely have sprinkles because i have to pull it back Mm -hmm. to to our branding but i'm really excited about that the other thing i'm excited about and um is the expansion of not only kids but of print is dead where you know um uh Patrick and I have some ideas and I'm hoping to do some print for Print is Dead in nice. the future okay. um, because the half of the other half of Print is Dead is long live print so I feel like I need to be the long live print part so I'm hoping to do some print for that and i um, looking forward to seeing my cat I miss him
0: <laughs> Lovely, well thanks again for joining us and um, safe flight The New York Times Kids appears with the newspaper on the third Sunday of every month. It's pretty hard to track down copies outside the US, but they do offer collections of the Kids section, six issues at a time via the New York Times website. They're also offering nine of Deborah's beautiful front cover designs printed full size on special paper in time for the holidays. Great for gift-giving, according to Deborah, anyhow. Huge thanks to Deborah for coming over to London, delivering a great talk, and also joining me for that interview.
1: London printers Park Communications play a key part in the independent publishing scene, helping ambitious magazine makers turn their dreams into reality. They do just that for mag culture favourites The Paper, Ton and Chutney, as well as for longer established magazines like Port and ID. As well as high creative standards, Park are also committed to producing your magazine in the most environmentally friendly and sustainable manner buy a copy of their sustainable print guide from the MagCulture shop or download a free copy from the Park website search Park Communications just like Mac Culture, Park loves magazines and we're proud to have them sponsor the Mac Culture podcast
0: As we already mentioned another highlight from MagCulture Live last week was Maya Mumne one of the Lebanese principals behind two vital indie magazines Journal Safa and Al Haya both magazines do what indies do best, each expressing a singular purpose. Safa covers Arabic graphic design in the context of the Western canon, while al Haya supports women and their rights in the Southwest Asia and North African or Swana area. I sat down with her for a chat yesterday and asked her first what she made of London.
4: Thank you for having me. Um, really, thank you for having me. I've been a long term of my culture for quite a few years now and- I was telling you the other day that I actually flew in from Beirut in 2018 to attend Mac Culture Live, and I'm very happy to have been invited to be a part of it. Um, yeah, I mean, I have a strange relationship with London. I definitely enjoy the city, but I do feel a bit um, odd. I, I do feel that the, the city is a bit cold, for mm-hmm. sure.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, but recently with, I have to say with, with, with the amount of, 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 of mobilization and protesting and rallying on the streets, um, definitely, definitely warmed my heart and felt a little bit more at ease in London this trip than mm-hmm. I have previously.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, I mean, we're, 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 talking in the context of, of the war, uh, in Middle East and, um, I call it the Middle East. You, uh, you, you have a much better phrase. The
4: Swana. Yeah, 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 I would, if I may, um, rephrase it to say the genocide that's happening. in the Okay, US, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Well, okay,
0: yes, absolutely. Um, but so, so there yeah, there's a slight irony there. The 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 awful background of all that, and yet that has brought out a lot of support for the Palestinians. Um, so there's a kind of, that, that has warmed you a little bit.
4: It definitely has, because it's been very very visible support. Yeah, um, yeah. And I've been going to, I've been like trying my best to make it to every protest, and if not, just peep in to see, because I'm always interested in seeing who's the audience at the protests, who's rallying, who's on mm-hmm, the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been seeing a lot of um, white people at protests here, and, and that has really, you know, that, that that's definitely really warmed my heart, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and given me a feeling that I haven't felt um ever which is i feel the discourse and the conversation and the narrative around um israeli propaganda and palestinians and um the nuance between calling it a war and, and, and calling it a genocide um h- has been shifting like that i feel like that project is almost over
0: mm-hmm. last week you gave a, a very powerful presentation on your magazines uh, you. al Haya and uh, journal safar um i'm keen to get to them but before we do that i Let's like backtrack through how you first got involved in publishing. Because mm-hmm. you, you were living in Beirut. Absolutely. And you set up a studio. Absolutely. Tell me more.
4: Um, so in, in 2012, Hatemi Mam and I decided to start uh, Studio Safar. Um, I wanted to start my own agency. I had been wanting for a long time because I've always wanted my work to service um, the extended cultural sector. Um, I've always wanted to work in design that serviced, um, that um, engaged in political Mm -hmm. discourse and social discourse. Um, I've always, you know, felt like there was a need to remedy the scarcity of of writing on design in the global south and making that not just available for the global south, but like occupying a, a big amount of space worldwide. Um, And so we started the studio, and Hatem and I had always um, been very, very big fans of print publications and magazines specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's always kind of been like a dream of mine also to start a publication. I had no idea how and what form would it be and what it would be about. And and the more that I discovered um, documented content on our visual history... Mm -hmm. The more I felt there being was Lebanese. being Lebanese, yeah. yeah, being Lebanese, and 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 our visual history not just in Lebanon but um, in in the Arab region, very specifically. Um, again, because we 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 go to school and, and and we study books on design history that are really European or American. Um, there, there. When I started discovering these books, I thought, wow. I mean, that was a light bulb moment for sure. Um, and and designers in general have very little agency when it comes to being credited, um, being uh, considered active agents of cultural production mm-hmm. um, altogether. I mean, and this is not, I think, just a fight in the Arab region. I think this is a fight everywhere in mm-hmm. the world. Um, I just happen to be from the Arab region, and this happens to be my my strife. Um,
0: but that's it's exaggerated, though, because it's such a kind of Western... Europe and American, the, you know, the, the grand canon of, of graphic designers tends to be uh, New York-based males. I mean, there's this very specific, type, uh, something I was crossed over with, we talking to Deborah earlier in, in, another, in, in our earlier interview, was um, there is, there's a very, you know, the, there's an established list of people you're meant to know about.
4: Absolutely. Whereas
0: where you, where you, where you, in, in Beirut, in the Arab area, that that did, didn't exist uh,
4: not yet yeah
0: absolutely and you're working to bring that to the
4: full yeah and the aim is also not to bring about um these names that everybody should know about like the idea is not to get to a status of celebrity, just another list just yeah, yeah not to get to a study stati- status of like mm-hmm. being a celebrity mm-hmm. um but more so just carving out a space where where this content is read not just by designers within the same circle but by everyone and when a book is published, um, that the designer is, is is part of the editorial process of the book and not just credited as and, a designer. And
3: acknowledged. And, yeah, and yeah.
4: acknowledged, yes, and yeah. acknowledged. And not, and not just acknowledged as a graphic designer, because mm-hmm. as a graphic designer, I have the power to um, disseminate the information and the content that you're looking at in many different ways. And the way that I choose to, to, to publish the text and the image highly affects how you consume Mm -hmm. the content right Mm -hmm. and there's very little regard given to that like very little consideration given to that Mm -hmm. um or when there are campaigns out the graphic designer of a campaign is usually not very much credited and in in the world of design there's like a hierarchy Mm -hmm. architects and industrial designers and i I find that graphic designers are really at the very
3: very
0: bottom this is the problem that exercises me a lot i mean the the there's, there's museums around the world specialising in design and, and and every other type of design seems to be, be ticked off. We can, we can do that, we can do that. And the graphics is right at the bottom of the list. Absolutely. Despite the fact that it's probably the most prevalent form of design. Absolutely. Uh, but Almost perhaps because it is the most prevalent form, people take it for granted. Absolutely.
4: Absolutely. Um, and so we thought, you know what, we're going to start a publication, um, a journal, where we invite designers and artists and writers and, you know, um, people from various fields that kind of coincide with the, with the field of with the field and world of graphic mm-hmm. design to contribute to the journal um, and we launched a, a pilot issue that was a test and we just distributed it to gauge people 's interests and um, see if there was a need mm-hmm. and there was a very big need and so we took it from there and just we just went one issue after the other after the other and it is still you know it, 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 we get a lot of questions about like what makes this a graphic design magazine um, and my answer to that is always very simply, we are the graphic designers that put this content together, and therefore mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. a graphic design magazine yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but but they, I mean I think, I think often though in particular the graphic design and magazines, pop editorial design, there is such close synergy between the editorial and the designer and it's it's, you you can hardly separate the two
4: absolutely whether it's with magazines or with publications or with museums and Mm -hmm. exhibition design yeah yeah.
0: um
4: i mean how 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 can the designer not work directly with the artist of an exhibition or the curator Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. the exhibition or i mean i'm literally um deciding how your audience is going to consume your information i'm literally the person who has that
0: power you have to cooperate Yeah. yeah 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 So uh, the, and the magazines were just issue six is coming. Issue eight. Issue eight. Issue eight is coming out. I missed two, um, and it's, sort of, it's developed a reputation and a voice. And have, have you seen over those eight issues? Because I mean, it's what is it once a year? It's once a year. So I mean, that's you know coming up to ten years worth of 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 existence, and and oh, you're doing other things. in between the magazine, there are events and mm-hmm. uh, online material. Um, have you seen the t- any any sign of the kind of changes that you would be hoping to see in terms of people beginning to understand that there's more to just making things look pretty?
4: Absolutely. I mean, even I can even tell this from the kind of content that we get or the kind of contributions that we get time over time over time over time. And once you know, it, it's a domino effect. So if one person has a conversation about um, the importance of acknowledging. Uh, visual culture in the region somebody else is also going to work on that and somebody else after that is going to be working on that and more students take this into consideration in their um, theses in schools and universities and these kids are going to graduate and then focus their careers on that Mm -hmm. and potentially start design magazines as well and there have been um, a few other design journals in the region that that stemmed out and I think all of, all of us should be doing one big collaboration together <laughs> um, and then of course with the publishing of um, the, the history of Arab graphic design publication um, and I think, I, I don't think anybody started this Damio effect, I think we, we've all been kind of like working at the same pace mm-hmm. um, with the same eagerness and collaborating together, I mean one of, one of the authors of that, but one of the editors of the book, Arabic graphic design, history of Arabic graphic design, um, was invited to take part in one of our events, the talk with Paul Holden Graber um, in Beirut um so, so I definitely feel like there's a big difference and a big shift in that. Um and in terms of impact of, of, of the work that we do in the publication, that we address a lot of social and political um topics. I think um I feel have have I mean especially with the migrations issue.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Um I, I feel like these have been coming more and more part of um the conversations that have been going around.
0: And and I mean, I've I, I've known about Sappho since I think 2018 when he bought one to that mm-hmm. to that uh, edition of of Mag-Culture Live. but obviously I know very little about the context into which it's publishing. I haven't been to the mm-hmm. to that particular. Uh, I haven't been to Lebanon. I haven't been to uh, much of that part mm-hmm. part of the of the world that you're concentrating on. So, t- and you mentioned. Um, you, you you saw a lot of magazines and you like magazines and you wanted to make your own print publication and then there are other people you hope will follow. Can you give me a sense of what the, what those other magazines are yeah. and what the kind of how far back the history goes and, yeah. and is you know is is there a whole world of publishing there that we in the West are completely blind to?
4: I don't, I don't know if I would consider it a whole world mm-hmm. um, because we have a very weak distribution infrastructure in in the Arab region mm-hmm. and this is a, a very big like um, blockage to actually disseminating this content yeah. to each other. Um, I've been struggling a lot with this, with, with Safar and mm-hmm. with Hayya.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, and, and, and unfortunately, my magazine reaches the West much more than it reaches uh-huh. um, uh, the Arab region. But um, there have been a lot of zines that have been coming out, and Mm -hmm. a lot of magazines and journals that have been coming out that are queer-focused. Some of them are online, and some of them are Mm -hmm. in print. Uh, Cold Cuts magazine, off the top of my head, this is a very, very important one, and Cold Cuts has kind of, like, you know, taken on many different types of, like, forms. Um, They're also publishing books now. Uh, They published a very important book uh, called Treat Me Like Your Mother, uh, which traces... um, Trans uh, history mm-hmm. in the Arab region, um, which is a history that is not documented whatsoever mm-hmm. for us, and that it exists. I mean, is I, mean, I, I can't emphasize the importance of this. Um, but with regards to publishing in the region, I mean Safad is registered in Beirut as opposed to Haya which is registered in the U.S. Um, but it, we do have a lot of trouble with 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 shipment and getting the magazine into Lebanon into the country. Um, there it was, you,
0: it's, it's, manufactured, it's produced outside?
4: Yeah, it's yeah. produced with Park, actually. Okay, Park, okay. Park prints it. Um, <coughs> but I remember there was one issue um, that we shipped from London to Beirut, um, and it got stuck at the port of Beirut for several months. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if it was several months, but like a few months. Mm-hmm. And we just couldn't figure out what they wanted. Like, why won't they release the boxes? Um, and, and I don't know if this is... We still don't know to this day if this is true or not, but in that issue, we had published... Um, a piece on uh, Hezbollah's communication strategy and found out later that the port of Beirut, that particular port of Beirut, is actually controlled by Hezbollah. And so I don't know if these are directly related. I don't know if we are important enough that they have mm-hmm. opened the, the magazines, the boxes and mm-hmm. like cared to look into the magazines and read them and, and find out and they decided to hold them. And
0: mm-hmm.
4: We didn't get into any sort of trouble, but we paid like an insane amount of money to free it. To free it. Mm-hmm. An insane amount of money to free it. Um, so it, yeah it's it's not that easy um, yeah. also censorship is like a, a very very yeah. big thing there um, there's another uh, there's another publication that comes out of Beirut it's called Samandal Magazine which is a comics based magazine uh, it's trilingual it's in English Arabic and in French um Hatim is also one of the founders of this. He doesn't run it anymore, but he, mm-hmm. he is one of the founders. Um and they had published, I think, two comics by two different illustrators that had um that, that just made a, a, a couple of jokes on religion. Uh and they 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 there was a case against them that they lost. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
4: That they lost. Um and shortly after that the founders decided to give this platform over to a new group of people, and they've been kind of they just mm-hmm, took the torch mm-hmm. and, and are doing brilliant work with that. Um, so,
0: I mean, the, the environment is tough to publish into.
4: It's definitely tough yeah, to publish. Yeah. I mean, especially with the economic crisis in Beirut and the price of printing at the at the um, at the printers and the importing of paper. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just it's crazy. I mean, mm-hmm. the, with the devaluation of the Lebanese pound, like we're not even going to go there. But it's it's insane what's happening with that and that these prices are still in USD. And not to mention that you have to sell the magazine. At, 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 a, at a price that covers the cost of that. Yeah, yeah, And that's still considered very expensive for the current market right there, and it brings about a lot of questions like, well, who is your magazine being printed for right now, and, yeah. and who is really able to access my magazine, and why am I still doing this?
0: Which comes back to what you're saying about through, through no fault of your own, but through the distribution um, system as yes. it stands, it, so many of your readers are in the West. Yes. Which absolutely. which obviously has a, ha, isn't an audience to be dismissed, but of course, it must be very frustrating when you can't address your own audience. Yes,
4: absolutely, mm-hmm. and of course, I mean, I think the majority of our audience in the West is the Arab diaspora. Um, mm-hmm. So okay. that's a very important and forgotten audience, mm-hmm. I, I think, especially mm-hmm. from within the Arab region. We forget the Arab diaspora yeah. and how grand it is um, and important. But yeah, I mean, even you know, as important for me is is the audience inside, and there's really it's like really so hard to get the magazines into into mm-hmm. the neighboring mm-hmm. countries. Um, and, and find a distribution route through there. It has to be done individually by city. So what we do is we get in touch with bookstores from different cities and then if somebody's travelling there they carry them it's it's all like mm-hmm. it's you know it's DIY independent magazine culture.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you I mean you mentioned you know you, you have to increase the price to cover the increased costs of producing and everything, Absolutely. which is something that is, is still rippling through the whole world yeah. of independent independent publishing publishing in general. But do you cover your costs?
4: We cover our costs. Yes, we cover our costs for sure. Um, I don't think we found a a method to make profit off of the magazine Mm -hmm. yet. Um, And I think the reason why is because we aren't very actively interested in making profit. I think if we wanted Mm -hmm. to, we could have. Um, but something like an interesting model that I I haven't like been exposed to before is that the ma- that the studio came before the magazine, mm-hmm. and that the magazine is actually bringing in business to the studio. Right, I
0: was going to ask about that. This, yeah, yeah, yeah. This
4: was a really interesting discovery for me. Uh-huh. Um, that I that I was that wasn't planned for. I hadn't thought of it before. I wasn't expecting that. Um, but it seems whatever work you put out there, you will attract. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Um,
4: and so we started getting more and more clients and, 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 and projects that really felt more in, uh, aligned with the, 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 the politics of the magazine yeah. itself and, and the kind of work that mm-hmm. we would write about and publish about.
0: And so does that work come from, the lo- uh, from um, Beirut and the local area or is it from a broader it come from other countries and further field?
4: Lots of different places I, uh-huh. w- I wouldn't say, I mean I've been trying to track where the where our work has been coming from now to see like what's the majority, I don't think I can find a majority and yeah. it's been all over the world but one thing is for sure is no matter where the project is coming from it is definitely to do with the Arab world in yeah. one way or another It's sympathetic and, it's, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's why we get contacted to do uh-huh. it uh-huh. so it's an exhibition in Cape Town that's about the museum in solidarity with Palestine mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. took place in the 70s um, that was happening in Cape Town and we got hired to do the exhibition for yeah, that so yeah. it's really very different places yeah. and, and, and it's so
0: awesome you've strategic. established kind of specialist voice in that area that you know people come to you because they respect your opinions from the magazine and I hope so Yeah, well that would be why <laughs>
4: I hope so. Um, and we're not the only people doing this work, just to clarify. Yeah. There are lots of other um, design collectives and uh-huh. designers um, who are doing the same. Sure. And I think, yeah, I think amplifying all of that is, is mm-hmm. really very important to carve mm-hmm. out like a big kind of market for that.
0: And I mean, talking about um, censorship and uh, the problems of distribution with Safar, but then you launched um, Hire, which now, I mean, uh, again, as, as a non Arabic speaker, I see it co- labeled Al Haya, but you you call it Haya. Uh,
4: I call it Al Haya. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah. But it's like sometimes but you won't so hear the because say I fast. say it
0: very okay. fast. Yeah. <laughs> Al Haya. Um, but that magazine. Tell us how that came about.
4: Yeah. So um, I have been. I had been itching for. I mean, after I think four or five issues of Safar, um, I had been itching to work on a magazine or a platform of some sort that addressed women and women only in the region. Um, and there are lots of publications that, you know, p- publish like critical analyses on, on feminist struggles and um, um, historians <laughs> and whatnot, but none that did that for the masses. Mm-hmm. And so, and I still, I, I don't think Al-Hayya has gotten there yet, but I, I this is, the idea has always been to be the antidote to the Women's Weekly in mm-hmm. the Arab okay. region. Um, and that's why er Haya is glossy and Safar is not, and the design is, you know, mm-hmm. quite different from from, yeah. from Safar, and it's, you know, printed on much less precious paper, and it's meant to be rolled up and put in the back of your pocket or in your purse, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want this magazine to be, to be found at the hairdressers, I want that to be the yeah. magazine that's on the table in the waiting room of the hairdressers. Um, and I just, you know, I mean, Safad was doing something very specific that I wanted to to, to tackle. Um, but it wasn't about women and women's rights and women's strife and yeah. women's interests. And I thought, you know, I'm a graphic designer and I can publish a magazine and I can put a team together and I can actually, I mean, because of my background in design and my experience with publishing, I can occupy a little bit more space and create another magazine. And mm-hmm. so I did and I teamed up with five other women um, and it's independent to Safa, but Safa designs the whole thing.
0: Uh-huh. And does that face even more problems of censorship, and because of the subject matter you are talking about M-
4: much more? Yeah, because the topic and the subject matter is much more popular. Um, mm-hmm. And the magazine, I think, I think Hayya is distributed a little bit more far than um, Safa is, mm-hmm. um, and because the the topics are are a little bit more um, popular in terms of like what they tackle. Um, so. but,
0: but but also empowering and useful to women who have not always had the, m- m- st- the strongest voice in that region anyhow
4: yeah I mean I, I always get a little bit uncomfortable with like claiming that you know like the, oh my magazine is empowering and it's you know I, I hope that that is the effect I don't know that it is empowering yet and I get uncomfortable with these yeah, um,
0: yeah. I understand that but, 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 that, but that, there's clearly the underlying desire is to achieve that
4: yes the underlying desire is to achieve impact and carve mm-hmm. out a space for that mm-hmm. for sure so that um, there, because, there, we, we get to have an alternative in in, in in mass media the idea is is really to offer mm-hmm. an alternative in mass media and to publish content about things that aren't getting published mm-hmm. um, there's you know a lot of publications that write about like you know beautiful women's things and but no magazines write about mm-hmm. you know the, the reality of female genital mutilation in the region or um the, the 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 strife of Palestine and Palestinians all over the world um or economic independence um or I mean, I mean the list is so 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 long.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. Issue three has just arrived. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And and have you seen again? I mean, I asked you about uh, about Sapphire, but between one, two, and three, have you seen a shift in perception of the magazine? Has it? gone more in the direction you want it to
4: be absolutely i think with every issue it's getting more and more in that direction mm-hmm. um and this is i mean although i've published stuff this is very different for me in terms of experience so it's really i'm experimenting as i go mm-hmm. with my partners and with every issue we have a lot of conversations and reflect and make suggestions and mm-hmm. we and i think this will be ongoing until we get to a point where we're like this is it this mm-hmm. is the template yeah. no one touch it yeah um and
0: presumably though i mean ever since issue one it it's, because of the nature of, of the subjects that you're covering, it must be bringing people out who want I could do this. How about this?
4: Absolutely. And we've been getting a lot of um, requests to contribute to the magazine from people we would not have been able to women we would not have been able to reach through our network to uh-huh. begin with. Yeah. which was one of the most, I mean uh, palpable impacts in my opinion mm-hmm. because I, I mean to see that meant that the magazine was reaching places. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's still reaching places in the West. But it's, still, but it's reaching places, and we're getting a lot of requests for contributions mm-hmm. from um, women from the Swana region that live in the West.
0: And you're committed to doing it in print. Absolutely. And um, which some people might be surprised at, given, I mean, the, 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 some, some of the things you, you want to communicate might, might, in one sense, be easier to distribute freely around by, by doing it online.
4: Printing it, um, pr- printing Alhaya is literally occupying physical space with our words, um, and I won't have it any other way. Um, and to kind of just like put everyone at ease with this question and this debate, and um, I, I, my partners and I have decided that we we are working on a digital platform for the magazine. The content is going to be very different. What exists in print is going to be content that's um, not time based. And I want, I want it to live forever that in, in 50 years somebody picks up the magazine and knows that somebody published content on the reality of female genital mutilation in the Arab region, mm-hmm. this happened, women had the power to write that um and it was published and it was distributed and whatever we're going to be doing with the digital um with the with the online platform is going to be more time based content so more resourceful content more news based yeah. content um things that are fast news um video interviews video pieces um and we've started publishing some of the articles from our print magazine online on our website so some of that is available mm-hmm. um and we've also launched a podcast um, in Arabic only with no visuals because it's safer to disseminate that uh-huh, than to disseminate uh-huh. anything with visuals. Um, and that's available. All uh-huh, of and we've uh-huh. partnered up with a platform in Dubai in, in, the, in the United Arab Emirates um, to produce this to uh-huh. the, produce this podcast. And so it's really based in the region.
0: And talking of language, I and mean, that's a key part of both print projects, is that they're both bilingual. Yes, um, Arabic and. Uh, English. Correct, uh, and not only that though. They, they take they they take advantage of the fact that both both la- the two languages work in different directions. So they, they each language has its own front cover, and they literally uh, sort of dovetail into each other.
4: Absolutely,
0: um, There must be a nightmare to produce.
4: It is an absolute nightmare to produce and to design. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh,
0: but that's important. I mean, it, I mean to me, it seems the absolutely essential part of it is the two languages are, are just intermingled and. Thank <laughs> there's no you know, it's, it's not, not like this is the English section this is the
4: Arabic section absolutely the importance for me in printing the this in two languages although it really takes double the, the amount of money and literally double the amount of pages and mm-hmm. double the amount of time to do this all because you know the cost of translation is very high mm-hmm. um, and then you have to copy edit and you have to make sure that it's not being literally translated that the meaning is being translated yeah. and not yeah. just the sentences but the importance for that for me is um, that the Arabic language is so often and disregarded from contemporary voices um, that for example um, using a language that's gender inclusive which we are we're very like adamant about in al um inclusivity in the Arabic language is not um, is not made that available. It's not common. It's all very new. Mm-hmm. Most of the people that um, and I'm quoting Raja Salim, our translator on this, most of the of the of the of the the, the Arabic languages practitioners are and have been men. Um, men, whether they are men in that work in religious institutions or men in diplomacy or men in business, but very little of that exists in the cultural mm-hmm. world, um, especially not in in the popular. Um, like contemporary magazines, and um, and so you know, including content like having content that's written in in our mother tongue about um, economic uh, agency and economic independence, uh, about um, uh, the the strife of women in the Arab region, about the history of feminists, their writers, their works, the impacts. Um, about uh, abortion laws, about um, uh, laws in, in in the countries that uh, in which countries can can mothers give their children their citizenship because in most countries mm-hmm. you can 't give your child a citizenship if you 're a woman. Wow. Um, I mean, all of these things, that this language exists in our mother tongue is a way um, to not just reclaim the language, nobody took it from us, but to really occupy space mm-hmm. and like stand our ground with, like, this is our language as well.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, and, and to also include a lot of these words in Arabic means that I'm going to remember that this word exists in Arabic and not just in English.
0: That's a very powerful thing. <laughs> the other aspect that complicates production is uh, the fact that you are all so disparate now in terms of mm-hmm. where you're all based. Since the blast in, in the port of, uh, of, of Lebanon, you all had to, or mo- many of the, the team have had to leave and find somewhere else to work from. Yeah. How does that work?
4: I mean, it's, it's a little difficult because, you know, there's a survivor guilt to this part. Mm-hmm. Um, those that left and those that stayed and the conversation of, well, you didn't have to leave, you chose to leave. Um, and now that shit has hit the fan, you're not in the country anymore. Mm -hmm. And you know, all of this. Um, and I, I personally struggle with this a lot. Um, and I struggle with considering, you know, will I lose relevancy Mm -hmm. by not being based out of Beirut anymore? Um, what is this going to mean for my content? Um, but having my office based out of Beirut, like having the Beirut office still running Mm -hmm. is a very important thing for me. Um, and, and of course, because of that, I'm, trying my best to make it to Beirut at least, you know, half the year. Um moving forward. This this is my plan to be in to be based in Beirut half the year. Um and, and to be able to meet in person with with the editorial team and discuss things. It's just very different online. It's mm-hmm. just yeah, very, very yeah. different online. And it's very different at a distance. And I mean even with Safai that had, you know, a relationship that was so close established like close like close and established for many years before the blast. Um, there, there, there are still a lot of things that died with the mm-hmm. distance. Mm-hmm. I have to admit, mm-hmm. um, and so I think it's just a matter of keeping conscious of this and actively working on it to keep it close and 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 uh, tied. And,
0: and you just finished the the latest issue of um, Journal Safar.
4: We're, we're finished, finishing. Yeah, we're finishing. finishing it. We're
0: almost. And finished. you're headed to proof, Is that for the final? Push. I'm
4: headed to Beirut for the final push. Yes, we're hoping to release that in January mm-hmm. or in February. Um, it's a very exciting issue. It's, so it's um, about the theme? And... Yeah. So it's about tongues um, and and it's about, you know, all that I mean, with stuff as with everything with Safar. It's never a literal like the, the theme is never a literal like translation of the articles themselves. Um, but it's about um, the mother tongue, tongue in cheek, uh, language, dubbing, translation, um, voices, mm-hmm. chants, street protests. It, it, it's about like anything and everything that's related to tongue, food. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the cover of, of issue eight, I mean, we had been thinking long and hard about like, you know, what's the cover going to be? What's the cover going to be? And um, uh, Janathawir and Georgia Labake, who are part of the team, um, came up with the cover uh I think a week or a couple of weeks after uh the queer bar in Beirut called Madame Om that was hosting a drag show got raided by a far right um mm-hmm. Christian group. Um and the drag show had to be put to an end and the drag queens ran the backstage, removed all their makeup before they got caught to walk out without their drag.
0: You had some amazing footage of that for uh, yeah. in, in your presentation. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
4: Um, that footage was taken from Plastic Magazine, another magazine based out of Beirut. Right. Um, they had posted that, so I, I downloaded it and I reposted it in the, in, in the presentation. Um, but they got in touch with two drag queens from Beirut called Diva and Melanie Cox, um, who weren't concerned necessarily with like their safety right now. Um, and we're you know very happy to do that and so we we, we, we brought them in to ulilate on our cover and mm-hmm. ululating is you know other than it being common around the world in in the Arab world is is, is a very particular type of ululation um, which you, you see them do on the cover and they're dressed in drag and I um, mean we'll you. There will be a text published about this in the issue, but again, this is about like addressing like social and political um, mm. matters in the magazine, and I think it's. A and, uh, but the um,
0: but the pictures are also. Uh, I mean, they're stunning portraits of, 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 of the drag queens who took
4: them? Um, the photographer is called Amal Hamlouche, um, and she's a photographer from Beirut I think she's, she lives between Beirut and Dubai mm-hmm. um, and she was in Beirut at that time and uh, I think Rana at the time got in touch with her and asked her if she'd be down and she said oh my god yes of course um, so Amal Hamlouch took the photos and Rana Tawil, Georgia Labake and Maggie Dwaihi who were part of the Sefer team um, art directed the whole shoot uh, they spent a whole day doing this
0: cool yeah Uh, Maya, thank you so much for coming over and speaking at the conference, but also thanks for um, talking at length here today.
4: My absolute pleasure. Thank you again for having me.
0: Cheers. (laughs) So that's MagCulture Live done for 2023. Uh, What's up next for uh, events-wise?
1: Yeah, so next up is our Christmas Cracker raffle. Um, So that's where we raise money for local organisation Shelter from the Storm. Um, so there'll be more about that coming on Instagram soon. Plenty of chances to win magazine shaped gifts and prizes.
0: Uh, so that's that. That's ahead of Christmas.
1: Yes, that's and, ahead of Christmas.
0: Jumping over the holiday season into next year. Uh, if you're planning uh, to launch your own magazine, we have just the course for you. Our masterclass, The Flat Plan, is back. We do this every year and it's, it takes place online over the weekend. Uh, and this time it's the weekend, March the 2nd and 3rd. And again, tickets will be on sale soon for that.
1: Indeed. Exciting.
0: And there's other things. We won't go into them all. Not just yet. Soon. But um, time to wrap up the episode. Thanks to both our guests, Deborah Bishop and Maya Mumney, and everyone that made Maggulture Live London such a success last week. That's our speakers, our partners uh, and our audience. And um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll be back soon, right? We will indeed. See you soon.